Welcome to the Talk Story to Me podcast, where editors Amber and Callista show you how to develop an idea from initial conception to final product. In this season, we'll be working with Amber's new idea for her novel, Legend of the Gemini Twins. So, Amber, now that we know why you want to write this story and why it's so important to you, I would like to take the core of your idea, uh, the essence of it, and start putting more pressure on it to see if it's strong enough to actually build a story on. There is two main exercises that I have in mind that I would like to go through with you to do this. So the first one is I would like you to try and summarize your story into one to two sentences. And what I'm looking for when you do this is simply, you know, what the conflict is, what the stakes are, and who the main character is. Can you do that for me or try? Okay. No, no pressure. (laughs) No pressure. So I have done this exercise ahead of time. And here is what I came up with. Mm -hmm. A boy full of phobias and his twin sister are looking for missing archaeologists when they get whisked into a wormhole that takes them back in time. Now they must recover an ancient relic, find the missing archaeologist, and rescue their missing parents, all while trying to figure out a way home before the conquistadors arrive to destroy Incan civilization. Yeah, I, I like that. how fun that sounds. You know, it does definitely give a vibe of adventure that they're going to go on. And you are very clear on this is about a boy and his sister that's going through all of this. The only thing that I would comment on is that it is very busy you know what i mean and Mm -hmm. we're kind of just looking for the essence of the story and like the second half of what you said is all about the different types of conflict that are in it it's finding a missing archaeologist finding Mm -hmm. a lost relic and also finding their parents and i would almost want you to try and condense it a little bit more into just the essence of it and not so much also the different subplots that it has Okay. Um, Yeah, I think I've had difficulty with that as well in the entire outlining process, because in my mind, there is a the chief of El Dorado that's holding the parents captive mm -hmm. and he's doing so because he knows they're from the future and they have all this knowledge and he realizes that knowledge is power. Mm -hmm. So he won't let them go. So I've really been tangling with who is the actual villain is it the chief or is it the conquistadors got you because i think the conquistadors were one of the original things that got me kind of excited about the story because i am originally from saint augustine florida right and it's really rich in history with the spanish explorers coming over and then all the fights with the french And you had some very colorful Native Americans splashed in there. And it was kind of a similar situation. And I thought it would be really neat to explore that. Mm -hmm. But now I'm kind of stuck because it's like, okay, is the chief the villain or the conquistadors the villain? I feel like for one book, you really need a main villain. And then, you know, you can have like an overarching villain for the course of like a series. 
right. but to have two in one book feels like too much. And so I've been trying to figure out how to scale that down and what to focus on. And so that is probably kind of reflected in the log line being a little busy is right. that I'm still trying to nail that down. So what yeah. do you recommend? What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. So that is probably a, a struggle that a lot of writers can be able to identify with. One of the things that I would be curious about is I know uh, you kind of mentioned before that it's going to be kind of a series. Did mm -hmm. you want there to be like a series villain? Like Voldemort is the series villain in Harry Potter, but different books have different uh, villains within that own book. Is that kind of what you're going for? I think so. As of right now, all I've thought about is like the main book that starts mm -hmm. it off. And then, you know, I have kind of ideas of I want the next one to be in Camelot. Mm -hmm. And I know I want the the last book to finish off in the lost city of Atlantis. Got you. So I'm thinking that there's going to be a main villain from Atlantis in the last book. And I haven't decided if it's the character that initially starts out helping them in the first book and he's going to end up being the main villain or exactly where that's going to go. I think if I could plan that all out ahead of time, it would make for a much more satisfying series mm -hmm. because I wouldn't be writing myself into a corner. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things that we can figure out even more later on is just creating a distinction between the global genre of the series then and then the global genre of each individual book. Mm -hmm. And so that can also help you figure out what kind of series you're trying to tell. So if if you're if you want your villain to maybe be chasing the main characters throughout all of the different books, it could maybe be like an action uh, story with the, that hunter plotline throughout like the main series. Or if it's something like you were saying, kind of like having a trickster character in with the villain being revealed as like a twist of who the main villain is and that they're maybe pitting the main characters, Jackson and Evie up against somebody else in the series and then uh, manipulating them through when it's revealed kind of at the end, you know, foreshadowed that it's actually this guy. And so mm -hmm. that can give you an idea of the the main genre for the series is like an action with, uh, I don't remember the exact name of that type of plot, but like where they're setting two heroes up against each other maybe. But that can also be fleshed out more once we get more into genre. Mm -hmm. But was with the Machiavellian or? Yeah, it was something like Machiavellian. Mm -hmm. Something similar to that. But one thing that we can dive a little bit deeper than into is... So what do you imagine the role of the, I think you said that one of the villains you're thinking of having is the conquistadors. Mm -hmm. So what kind of role do would they play in the story? Can you flesh that out a little bit more for me? Well, in my thinking, as I've been going through, I picture since El Dorado was never found, I feel like the city has to disappear at some point. I feel like the chief gets a hold of this relic that they were after, and he uses that to create a bigger wormhole, basically, and move the entire city. Mm -hmm. But then Jackson and his 
parents and the missing archaeologists were left behind. Mm. Or maybe even one of them got separated from them and moved. Like maybe the dad sacrifices himself so that everybody else can get out. And now he's gone and they still have to find him through the series. But then my thinking was that as soon as the city disappears, here they are. And then the conquistadors show up. Okay. So it kind of sounds like the conquistadors then don't have that much to do with the main gist of the story until the very end then. Mm-hmm. So so what role do they play at the end? Just as like another battle sequence, what's what's the main role, the main purpose of them? Well, once the city disappears, their main goal is going to be to find a way out of the jungle. Mm-hmm. And the conquistadors were going to set up another obstacle. Mm-hmm to their getting home. I figured there'd be a timeline and they'd be under the gun, you know, like there has to be certain align planetary alignment or something when they make the jump back. And then the conquistadors show up and add another wrinkle to getting home. Got you. But is that too busy? Is that too much going on for one middle grade fantasy novel? Well, right now, my my one, what I'm thinking of and my, my more, more of my concern is how much do the conquistadors have to do with, with the rest of the plot? Are they just coming in at the third act and don't really have any sort of tie to anything else that happens? Because if you're setting them up as like the main climactic battle at the end, I could see that not really working with the rest of them if they weren't built up as like the main big bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was thinking I would bring them in earlier and have them be captured and then escape from the conquistadors. And then the conquistadors are looking for them. Um, Got you. Because they think somehow that they know where there's treasure. And Got that's you. the main goal of the conquistadors is the finding of treasure. Gosh, you. So the conquistadors are entering earlier on in the story then and mm-hmm. they're looking for treasure they capture the kids the kids escape and then they're being hunted by the conquistadors throughout the story mm-hmm. and um, then they, they kind of catch up with them at the end after the chief disappears got you and so why are the conquistadors chasing those kids specifically is it okay if they run away if the conquistadors just want treasure they can kind of like go on their own way or like so what's connecting them to make them want to actively pursue them instead of actively pursuing the treasure you know what i mean there's gonna have to be something that's they have on them or something that the conquistadors see that makes them think that those kids are somehow the key to getting what they want gosh you okay and so let's then talk about the Incan chief. That that was the other character who you're we also thinking about being the main antagonist, right? So tell me more about him. What does he want throughout his story? In my thinking, the parents made the mistake of letting him know that the conquistadors were coming. Mm-hmm. And he wants to keep his city safe. Mm-hmm. And he wants to protect his people. So moving the city out of harm's way is his main goal. Got you. So he's antagonistic, but 
like most good villains, I feel like a person could see his point of view. Right. So because, you want to be sympathetic too. Yeah. Okay. Could you could you explain a little bit more, go into a little bit more detail about how he comes more into conflict with the characters and how he would like work as the main villain? Is it just because he's like moving the city and they're still in it and can't get out? What he are your thoughts? In my thinking, he tells the children, well, no, I changed that later. In my thinking, he will not let the parents go. Why? Because they have knowledge about the future and technology that he wants to hold on to. And he feels like that is important for keeping his people safe. Right. Kind of the whole knowledge is power thing. Right. And then the twins show up. I want to use this giant gemstone as a bargaining tool because that's what he needs to move the city. But he doesn't keep his promise and let the parents go. He tries to keep both. Got you. Okay. And and the person that that's been helping them all along comes into play, and I think he betrays them at the end. Got you. As a trick. Because in my mind, he's from the lost city of Atlantis, and he's a time traveler, and he's the one that all the Veracocha legends are based on. Mm-hmm for the lost city of El Dorado. And basically the reason that the Incas know about time travelers is because they used to have this guy as prisoner and then he got away. Got you. But when he got back home, his whole city had been destroyed. And so now he's on a mission to be able to go back at the right time and be able to save his family. Right. Okay. Okay. Interesting. You gave me a lot to think about. And I played with different ideas of having the Tiki, who's the character from Atlantis, double-crossing them and stealing the gem and disappearing at the end. Mm -hmm. And then the twins using the diamond out of their mother's wedding ring and making it bigger and then using that to move the city. Got you. I've thought about it a lot of different ways. I'm just trying to decide what works the best before I pursue writing the rest of the story so that it all really works got you and by what works the best you mean what villain works the best as like the main antagonist Mm -hmm. okay well uh question about before we get into that so the gem do they steal the gem from the incas or not the incas from the conquistadors is that how they get a hold of that gem that is important in my mind they had to go on a quest to get the gem Got you. And they have to go to the cave of the feathered serpent because one of the big legends in ancient Mesoamerican cultures is that feathered serpent. I think the Aztecs called it Quetzalcoatl, but the Incas also had some sort of equivalent. And, you know, there's a temple temple in like Tenochtitlan where on the, I think it's the summer solstice, the alignment of the sun is just right to where if you look at the temple, there's a shadow coming down it that looks like a serpent moving down as the sun rises. So I wanted to try and bring that cultural aspect in. So I was going to have the feathered serpents and it was actually going to turn into Merlin, the magician. 
got you. Which would be the tie-in for the next book for right Camelot. Right. He's the one that gives him the gem and he gives Jackson Excalibur and gives them some information. He's like the the wise character, like the Obi-Wan Kenobi that gives them a little bit of what they need to get through the quest that they're on. Right. The mentor figure. Right. And so what would be then the main thing that your protagonists want? Is it just to go home? For Jackson, I think it's just to get his parents and get home. Gosh, you. Is it different for Evie then? I would think... I would think her wants would be slightly different. Got you. In what way? Do you have that fleshed out yet? I don't have that fleshed out yet. Got you. I just feel like since they're two different characters, they need to have different drivers. Mm -hmm. Or maybe just different motivations for the same goal. So if they're both trying to find the parents, maybe it's uh, different motivations, which can be used to create conflict for them. Like maybe Evie wants to save her parents, but she also wants to explore and have a really fun time and maybe experience the culture a little bit. And Jackson doesn't, which could create some conflict if Jackson just wants to keep going. And Evie's like, let's stop and smell the roses or like, let's try this thing. And then it ends up creating like a bigger snowball effect. Right. So that's something to think about, too, is differences in motivations. But since you know that Jackson's main goal is to save his parents and get home, what is the biggest obstacle in that way? What's what's stopping him from getting that? In my mind, it's his parents being held captive. Got you. And they don't know yet how to get home. Got you. And I'm thinking I can't make that too easy. There's got to be you know, some sort of catch, like Mm -hmm. some kind of time constraint, like it has to be done within a certain number of days when the Mm -hmm. alignment is right or, you know, something along that effect. Yeah. Something to put uh, more pressure on the characters. Right. Yeah. Uh, So, so since the main obstacle is just the fact that their parents are captured and that they need to get their parents free, would then the main person making keeping them captured then be the chief? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so would that make him more, a little bit more of an important figure than the Incans? Or not the Incans, the Conquistadors, do you feel like? I feel like that's the direction the book is naturally pulling to, is making the chief the main villain. Got you. How do you feel about that? You're, you're kind of said that like you're not in love with the fact that it's going that way. I think it's the curse of letting go of some of that initial idea. Right. Of the conquistadors involvement, which, you know, if I need to, if I need to scrap that, that's fine. I just need to get it all set in my mind from the beginning right because you know i've heard tim talk at that incubator about he knew really early on in the week that he was going to have to do a page one rewrite 
Right. And I'm like, oh my God, I, I think that would just break me. I don't know if I can <laughs> no. do a page one rewrite. I don't know if I'm that strong. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really want to have it all figured out beforehand. Mm-hmm. And I think the series that I enjoy the most are the ones where you get to the end and it's all really nicely tied together. Mm-hmm. And you can tell that the author really planned it. Mm-hmm. I've had other series that I really enjoyed, but I could tell when I got to the end that they'd been pantsing and they didn't know how in the heck they were going to pull it together. And it's just kind of like, oh, right. Kind of anticlimactic, you know, it's like, okay, you know, it just, it wasn't all nice and neat and well thought out. Right. Absolutely. That's always not satisfying <laughs> whenever that happens. And that kind of goes back to, well, I so I have two two thoughts going on in my mind right now. Because you say you love having the conquistadors in. So my mind is immediately like, is there, well, we can still keep the conquistadors in even if they're not necessarily the main antagonist. But if you have your heart really set on them being the antagonist, my mind is immediately like, okay, how can we like puzzle fit this in to make it work and not be a terrible story? So some things to also think about is like maybe potentially having the conquistadors kidnap the parents instead of the kids and then them aligning with the chief to try to take down the conquistadors. And then maybe at the big climactic battle is still when the wormhole happens and he whisks El Dorado away. That could be a potential way of making the conquistadors the main antagonist, Mm -hmm. uh, more so in the story. But the other thought that I was having, though, is still along the lines of, like, you know, potentially just killing your darlings. You know, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Right. Which is always difficult for everybody, (laughs) no matter what. So what if... They've collected the gemstone and now they think they have this wonderful bargaining tool Mm -hmm. and they head for the city. And then when they get there, they find out that their parents were kidnapped by the conquistadors. That could work. Plus it plays on that little bit of uh, irony almost of like they escaped the conquistadors. They're going to find the parents. And now they just found out like maybe if they had just stayed put and didn't like take their agency in their own hands and go running maybe the mm-hmm. way Evie wanted to or something, then they could have been reunited with their parents. And so that can add like a really fun twist, I think. Yeah. Plus I think from the reader's point of view, you get to the city and you're expecting they're going to be reunited. Right. At least in one form or another. And you're mm-hmm. wondering what's going to happen. And then you find out they're not even there and they have to go on another fight. Mm-hmm. to get them back. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a a false ending. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. It's it's. Did you ever watch the TV show Avatar The Last Airbender? Yes. So that I don't was know. a really good series. That was a great series. I don't know if you remember this one episode, but it was when the characters were going to Omashu. And it was the second time that was where King Boomy was. And it was the second time they're going there so Aang could get an uh, Earthbender teacher. And then Sokka is is like walking up all dramatically and he's like, welcome to Oma. Oh, no. And then they see that the Fire Nation had taken over the city, basically. And like, so everyone's captured and everything like like that. So it can be kind of like a big reveal of them being like, we're here. Oh, no. 
we're not at the end of our journey. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think, didn't they even have where they went into the the Fire Nation at, at the end and they're going to have this big showdown because it was during the eclipse when the, the firebenders didn't have their power and the city was like empty. They yeah. weren't even there. Yeah. Because Azula had gotten word of their plans before, so she knew they were coming. But mm-hmm. yeah, they were planning on trying to stop the war before Sozin's Comet came and using the eclipse against them. That was a good episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Ellie and I used to watch that when she was little. That was yeah. like our show. Yeah, it was I think I've got the whole thing on DVD somewhere. Same. Uh, it's one of my favorite TV shows. I watched it as a kid, watched it as an adult. And I feel like w- with the rewatches as I grew up, I just understood more and more of like the nuances in the show. So superbly written. Oh, yeah. It was really well done. That's one of those you're kind of like jealous of. Like, man, I wish I'd come up with that. Yeah, exactly. So it's yeah, one of those think- things where when Sean or Tim talk about like masterworks and you're like, if you could just like write your name on like any sort of story that like you writ this or, or wrote this or something, that's the one TV show where like I wish I had come up come up with this idea and like executed it like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like I really like that idea. I think that works. Do they then team up with the chief? You think? Potentially. And then you can still maybe have a betrayal at the end with the chief being like, I have to put my city's needs first before your family's needs, which means I have to open the wormhole now and whisk um, everybody away. And the kids can be like, but we're going to come with you. We want to go home. And he might be like, tough luck kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it could still be closer to what you had originally imagined where uh, he wants knowledge too. So it could be also kind of like hinted at and then revealed at the end that maybe he's just as greedy as the conquistadors and like they defeat them in the big battle. And then it's revealed they also have to defeat this guy. You know, it's whatever kind of like bouncing around wake him up with. Or does he try to take them captive now? Potentially. And move the city with them in it. Yeah. Yeah, that could work, too. And so, you know, you can have uh, almost another type of false ending where like the defeated, the conquistadors, their parents are back. They're like, hallelujah, everything is back to normal. We can go home. And then the chief is like, surprise, you're not going home. You're going to stay with me in my city because I want your knowledge for me and my people. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then something to also think about with that climactic battle and all of that is the role that Jackson is going to play. Since you talked about before in the last episode how this is really supposed to be about him overcoming fear, you can probably try to find a way to make sure that the actual climactic battle, whether it's with the conquistadors or with the chief, that he maybe is the one overcoming his fear and the one that's stopping all of the bad things from happening and not Evie. Because I would be concerned if it's Evie that she's going to end up like stealing the story from him in a sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, Since he's the one that's going through the main source of change that you seem most interested in writing. Mm -hmm. Um, Unless you disagree. How do you feel about that? No, I know. I've thought about doing like alternating points of view. Mm -hmm. 
and bringing in a little bit of Evie's flavor of her personality. I almost want the main source of change to be in Jackson in the first book, though. And I think maybe then explore Evie in book two a little bit more. Yeah, that could work. If you're going to do something like that, are you wanting to maybe switch point of views then per book instead? Since this book is more Jackson's book, it's in his point of view. Since the next book might be Evie's book, it's more her point of view. And then like so on and so forth. Maybe the next one could be then a dual point of view. Something like that. I don't know. As I, I've written like maybe the first... 20 or 30,000 words so far. Mm-hmm. And it seems like Evie's just kind of coming out to where the alternating points of view worked best. Got you. But I don't know. It's funny almost how a story kind of picks its own path in a way. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of along for the ride. So I'm not 100% sure settled on all of that yet. Right. <coughs> So yeah, it, I feel like that normally happens whenever you're writing a book. You can try to outline it as best as possible, but it'll usually start to take a life of its own, which mm-hmm. is why my point of view on outlining is thinking of the outline as like a living document instead of like a concrete one, where if the as you go on, you're going to have different ideas, things are going to change and to just kind of like flow with it instead of trying to flow against it. Adjusting what happens, especially on the first draft, because you're kind of trial and erroring it on the first draft and then getting it back into editor mind after you have that written and then being analytical, but just just go with the flow, you know, go with, with what authentically speaks to you is usually how I approach outlining in the first draft. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Should we move on to the next topic then? <laughs> we went down that, that rabbit hole. So we talked about the elevator pitch. So I guess my, my main focus on the elevator pitch, which you can do this on your own time since I know you like to think about things more before just shooting things off the cuff, mm-hmm. is potentially thinking about narrowing that down a little bit more into like the tr- essence of it not necessarily telling me the the subplots and all that of like all these different conflicts you have to get through to get to the end but more of just the core of what the characters are facing Mm -hmm. so that's that's my my main feedback on that but so if taking what we do have the idea of you know it's it's a kid with a lot of phobias and his sister, and they get whisked away to El Dorado in a wormhole two years after the parents disappeared and that they have to go and like chase their parents and find a missing relic and all of that. Uh, So if I repeated back to you the first elevator pitch that you had given me, Mm-hmm. And I said, in, in this scenario, let's pretend that that wasn't your idea. That wasn't your elevator pitch that you came up with. And I said, hey, Amber, I heard of this interesting book. And it's about, you know, what you told me. Would you have found that interesting? Would it have piqued your interest? Or do you feel just maybe more meh about it? How do you feel if it wasn't your idea? I think it definitely would have piqued my interest. Anything action adventure I tend to like. Right. And I love having the historical elements in there. Mm -hmm. 
because I'm a big history person. But I agree that it's a little too busy. There's a little too much going on. You know, middle grade books tend to be a little bit shorter. Right. You know, a full on adult manuscript. Mm-hmm. So I think trying to accomplish all of that within the word count of that genre might be right. a little bit of a challenge. Right. Although the later Harry Potter books got longer and longer, I think. But, you know. Yeah, but the later Harry Potter's aged up with the age category. So it ended at like young adult 17, but it started middle grade. Yeah. So uh, I don't know if I would fully use that as like a parallel because... Well, plus your first book is like a runaway hit, then I think you've got a little bit more leeway on that too later True. on. I've got to get to that point first. True. You got, you got to have an audience who is willing to read bigger books because they trust you as a storyteller. Right. Yeah. And well, what I do like about what you did say though for that pitch is that I did like the fact that it was capturing a sense of adventure. Because I feel like that's really important to you, that you want to have this grand adventure that they go on. And it does capture that feeling. Uh, just make it a little less busy because we're looking just for the essence. And also, though, when you come up with the new elevator pitch, if you're like really brave, one way to like constantly test it against other people is to just tell other people what your elevator pitch is. Because, you know, you know, just go to the grocery store, walk up to the cashier and be like, I'm writing a book. And they're like, oh, cool. What's it about? Then you give them the elevator pitch. You have like a nice go to response to the whole what's your book about? And if they respond really well, you know, it's a good elevator pitch. You know what I mean? Although you probably okay. don't have to do it in that context. Of yeah, you're a- asking me to do some serious extroverting there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a little much for us introverts. Yeah, I think I've got enough people in my friend groups. I could probably run it by and, and work mm-hmm. on that. Yeah, that works too. And so the next kind of way of testing how strong the idea is, is now that we have an idea of the elevator pitch, we're going to start to expand it out more into a jacket copy. And so I mean, what I mean by that is imagine your book is on your, your shelf. It's printed out, it's in hardback or paperback, whatever format you prefer it on. And when you pick it up, you open the book and in the dust jacket cover, you have a summary of what your book is. Mm -hmm. So essentially, I want you to think of what would the summary be for your book. And what I'm looking for is who the book is about, what the conflict is, where the story takes place, and why it matters. So it is essentially still just the elevator pitch, just expanded out a lot more. I have, well, do you want to hear what I had and go from there? Yeah, sure. Uh, did you change it? Fuzz from what I had before. Got you. Because um, things have changed. But what I had was Jackson is just an ordinary kid trying to survive sixth grade when his uncle gets the call that an archaeologist friend has gone missing in the same jungle where Jackson's parents disappeared two years before. While hunting for clues, Jackson and his twin sister Evie are whisked through a wormhole that takes them back in time. 
After learning their parents are being held prisoner in the lost city of El Dorado, Evie and Jackson must set off on an epic quest. It's a race against time to find their parents, save the city, and figure out a way home before the conquistadors arrive to destroy Incan civilization and any chance they have of making it back to their own time. Yeah, I. that's not too bad for a uh, jacket copy. So, it, but it does sound like that's probably going to change going forward if we're changing the role of the conquistadors a little mm-hmm. bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for what you have, I actually like that. I think you're doing you're doing a good job of setting it in time so the reader knows where it's taking place and letting you know who it's about. It's mainly about Jackson and what they're facing. Again, this is this is a time where you can expand more on the conflict that's happening because in the other one, I was like, you know, let's shorten it down. But this is one where you can expand out a little bit more. And it's you're not going off track and talking about things that aren't really important. So I, I do like this for jacket copy. And one of the ways to like test that once you have it down is to then sit back and ask yourself, you know, if this wasn't my story, if I came up to you and was like, hey, Amber, I just read this really good book. It's about this. And I said what you just read to me. Does it pique your interest? I would say yes. I think this sets it up a little bit more, though, for the conquistadors to be the ultimate villains of the whole book mm-hmm. than maybe the logline did. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, that it, it, it does do that. Sorry, I'm reading more. <laughs> Yeah, so I would agree with that. I think it does do a good job of setting the conquistadors up as the main villain, especially if we do have that more solid down that they are going to be the main ones. So I like it. I like what you have. Good. So before... So the reason why I'm, I'm asking you these questions and trying to test the idea, what it's doing is one... I'm getting you to try and focus the main conflict of the story down, especially in the elevator pitch. It's the essence of the story. And then also with the uh, jacket copy, it's still figuring out what is the central conflict of the story. Mm -hmm. Then I'm also testing it in the sense of if this isn't interesting to you, it's not going to be interesting to other people. And I mean that in the sense of when you read your elevator pitch or your jacket copy. If you're struck by the fact that it, it's it's interesting, then the likelihood that other people are isn't either. And this is usually one section where you can take it and extrovert a little bit more, even though extroverting is hard for us introverts and asking maybe your writer friends. Maybe don't tell them that it's your idea so you can get even a more organic uh, reaction from them and being like, I've uh, read this story. It's about this. Does What do you think? And if they're like, that sounds super boring, that mm-hmm. gives you a clue that either one, you have to rework the elevator pitch in general to find something more, to make it more interesting, or mm-hmm. two, the idea itself isn't strong enough to pique interest. Mm-hmm. So that's the whole point of going through that process. Yeah, I think it definitely does help point your thinking in a certain direction and make you really think through what you're doing and why you're doing it. Right. Absolutely. Which is always fun. And it's always better to try and do that at the beginning of the process because it's so much easier to like rework 
like jacket copy that's only like 250 words than 300 pages you know what i mean mm-hmm. so try to try to think it out as fully as possible while uh keeping the silver lining of understanding that the story itself will most likely change and take its own life as you go through and so it's it's a tough balance <laughs> writing is very tough full of trials and errors yeah i think it's nice though it kind of gives you a compass to point you in the right direction Absolutely. That way, the entire time you're writing it, you always know where True North is and where you're going. Mm -hmm. So you don't end up writing endless pages that you end up tossing out. Yes. That's why even when I've uh, worked with other writers, usually the main issue with with writers that I've worked with who are beginners is an unfocused plot, right? They don't, they kind of have a main villain, but then their characters are kind of just all over doing all sorts of different things. And so the first step that I feel like every writer should take when they're coming up with an idea is just focusing it. What is it actually about? And we kind of did that also in the previous episode when we were talking about why. What specifically about this idea, you know, is calling to you? What part of it is more important than a different part? What part of it can you part with and which part of it is the core of it that if you cut it out then you would lose interest in the story and so Mm -hmm. all of this is helping you focus down and it's giving you that northern light in a sense that lighthouse in the dark that's saying hey this is the direction we move in Mm -hmm. all right so now that we've tested your idea and kind of came back with some thoughts about how we want to progress forward in that And we kind of figured out what the main antagonist is and all that. Let's narrow your story in on who your audience is. So once you know your audience, you'll get a sense for how to reach them in your writing. Mm -hmm. And the first step to figuring that out, because this is also a two-step process. (laughs) The first step is really focusing in on what your genre is. Mm -hmm. Uh, Knowing your genre will help you understand the shape of your story. So we're still getting that focusing of the plot itself. And uh, as well as what, sorry, let me, let me rephrase that. So knowing your genre will help you understand the shape of your story, as well as what the audience is expecting from you. That concludes this episode of the Talk Story to Me podcast. Thanks for listening and be sure to join us next time as we demonstrate how to take your book idea and turn it into a book reality. If you have enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a rating and review. Until next time, keep writing. Keep writing.